Alright. Hallelujah. So, we are in the right place at the right time. We are obeying the will of God. We are obeying what the word is saying. Hallelujah. The written word says, Do not forsake the assembling of the brethren, especially as you see His day approaching. Hallelujah. So, I want you to just take a moment and just think about it. Are you, do you think that you are in the right place? Do you think you are obeying the word? Just think. Hallelujah. Because it is written. It is written. Hallelujah. So, let's go to our scripture. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Hallelujah. I am excited to obey the word of God. Hebrews 5 verse 12 onwards. says, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Chapter 6 verse 1 Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith towards God, of doctrine, of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Hallelujah. So we have seen that it is the will of God that every believer should be involved in learning and teaching these doctrines. Hallelujah. It says, for when for the time you ought to be teachers. We saw the word time is chronos. That means a set period of time. That means it's like the probationary period when you join a company. They give, this is your probationary period. You are not made permanent yet. But within this time, you are supposed to learn all these things. And once this time is over, we expect you to be knowing and be efficient in these processes or these things about the company or the way the company works. So that's the same word. And he's saying by this time, all of you are supposed to be teachers of these foundational doctrines that we are learning. It says the first principles of the oracles of God. We looked at the Greek words and the meanings and we understood that it means the elementary or the letters of the alphabet of God's word. Or to put it simply, the ABCDs of God's word. Or A-A-E-E-U-U of God's word. Hallelujah. That's what we are learning here. The letters of the alphabet. Hallelujah. And what is the qualification to teach ABCD? No ABCD. A UKG student can teach ABCD. Hallelujah. What is their qualification? They learned ABCD. That's their qualification. So this is not rocket science. This is not something so deep, so uh, that, that is so theological that you need to attend a Bible school or something. No. You don't need a degree for this. What is your qualification to teach these things? ABCDs. You know the ABCD, you automatically qualify to teach ABCD. And God expects every believer to teach these things. That's why we are learning these things. And this is, not, this is not something that you learn once and stop. This is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. You continue in this. As you continue in this, you qualify to, to learn and understand greater things of God's Word. Hallelujah. And in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, The principles of the doctrine of Christ. We saw the Greek meaning is actually the original teachings of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus teach when He was on the earth? He taught these things. Throughout the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you look at it, you will see Jesus taught these things. Repentance, faith, all these things. The same thing that we are learning here. Hallelujah. He taught on faith. He started His ministry by teaching on repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then He taught on faith. That's why He told people, where is your faith? Oh, great is your faith. He appreciated people. Hallelujah. And then he, he laid hands on the sick. He taught on baptism. Hallelujah. He baptized people himself. He spoke about the coming baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he taught about resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. And then he talked about judgment. So these are the teachings of Jesus when he was on the earth. He selected 12 disciples. He made them disciples by teaching them these things. 
And then he told, he told them, you go and teach these things. So he made disciples, then he told them, you go and make disciples by teaching them the same things. So we are simply obeying Jesus. What are we doing? Following the discipleship program that Jesus started. We are making disciples. Hallelujah. So this is actually a discipleship program that Jesus himself started. And they followed this in the first church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 20 and 21, we see that they, they taught these things. They taught this publicly in an open arena with, uh, on a stage and they taught it house to house. That's what it is written. Acts 20 verse 20 and 21. They taught it house to house and publicly. That's why they had the results. You read the book of Acts, you see all the miracles happening. You see all the great and mighty things that God did through the disciples. Why did those things happen? Because they taught the same thing. And we want the same thing to happen among us in our churches, through us. That's why we have to learn these things. Hallelujah. And teach these things. In the Corinthian church, they, Paul in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said, you are babies. You are baby Christian. But in chapter 1, he's saying, all the gifts of the Spirit, the nine gifts of the Spirit are operating in, uh, in the church. What was their qualification? In chapter 3, Paul said, I taught you these foundations. So as you learn these foundations, you are qualifying for the gifts of the Spirit to operate through you. The gifts of the Spirit, the nine gifts of the Spirit. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, discerning of spirits, gifts of faith, gifts of healings, gift working of miracles. All these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. You are qualifying to be used by God through these gifts. To be a blessing to others. Hallelujah. That's why we are learning these things. Because we are in the last days. And Bible says, in the last days He will pour out His Spirit. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of His glory. Hallelujah. So, we've been looking at these. There are six foundational doctrines listed here. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, of baptisms, doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. So we've been looking at the first one which is repentance from dead works. We understood that the word repentance means changing the way you think. Pent, it contains two words, re and pent. Pent means you have the word penthouse. Penthouse is in an apartment complex, the topmost uh, building, the topmost apartment, the one on top. It's called the penthouse. So repent means return to the highest way of thinking that is God's way of thinking hallelujah we know that we are spirit beings what you see on the outside that is not the real you that is just your body it's your body that's not the real you the real you is the spirit man who is inside you are a spirit you live in a body and you have a soul with your spirit you communicate to God with your soul, you control your body and you communicate to people. With your body, you make changes on the earth and your body is a house for your spirit and the Holy Spirit. And what controls your body? Your mind, your soul. Your soul contains your mind, your will, your intelligence, your emotions. Hallelujah. So, your mind is where all the thoughts come. Everything that I'm saying is, like, uh, is coming in your mind as a picture. You don't see letters written. Yes or no? When I say a dog, you actually picturize a dog. You don't see the letters D-O-G. So it's your mind. And with, with your intelligence, you do the calculations. What I'm saying, you analyze it with your intelligence. And then with your will, you make a decision, should I receive it or not? And you express your decision with your emotions. Hallelujah. So all these things are part of your soul. And your soul controls your body. Hallelujah. All the actions that you do are controlled by your soul, your mind. Hallelujah. You decide and then your body obeys. And why do we commit sin? Why do we do the wrong things? Because our thinking is wrong. Why are people stuck in problems? Why are people stuck in certain habits? Because their thinking is wrong. Hallelujah. 
So, the word repent means return to God's way of thinking. So, how do you repent? You hear the word and you change your thinking with the word of God. Hallelujah. And what happens? The word of God, where did the word come from? From God's mouth. Before God said it, before God released those words, where were those words? In God's mind. God thought about it and God spoke. And when you study or hear or meditate on God's word, you're actually studying and thinking on God's thoughts. The more time you spend reading the word, the more your thinking is becoming like God's thinking. When you think like God, you speak like God and you act like God. Hallelujah. Why are you stuck in those habits? Why are you stuck in those wrong places? Because your thinking is wrong. Hallelujah. Like I, I, I told about myself before, I hated God. Because I thought God was an old man waiting to whack me anytime I do something wrong. I hated God. Somebody told me God took my mother. God put cancer on my mom and God killed her. So I hated God. That was a wrong way of thinking. So I rebelled against God. But then one day I got the right thinking that God did not put cancer on my mom. God is a good God. He loves me so much. He paid the price for my sin. So when I heard the truth, when I heard the truth in God's word, when I heard the good news instead of the bad news, my thinking changed. When my thinking changed, I turned towards God. Hallelujah. And I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Bible says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's not the anger of God. It's not the, the, the wrath or the, the majesty of God. No, it's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God. Many times different pastors try to scare you. Said, if you do this, God will be angry at you. You repent. The word repent is thoroughly abused in the body of Christ. When they say it, they use the word, they use it in such a way that people are afraid. So repent. God will, God will be angry with you. God will punish you. But that's a beautiful word. It simply means, hello, change your thinking. Listen to God's word and change your thinking. When you change your thinking, your body will do the right thing. You will be in the right place. You will do the right things. It's a beautiful word. Like I say all the time, two of the most beautiful words in the Bible are the most abused word in Christianity. That is repentance and judgment. They are the most beautiful words. But anytime a regular Christian hears those words, they are like, ah, ah, judgment. Ah. But judgment is a beautiful word. As we study it, you will understand it's such a beautiful word. It's a word that gives you hope. Same with repentance. It's a beautiful word. All it means is change your thinking. You are doing the wrong thing because you are thinking wrong. Hallelujah. Put God's word. Listen to God's word. That will change your thinking, that will change your habit, that will make you do the right thing. Your body will do the right thing when your thinking is right. Hallelujah. That's all repentance is. Hallelujah. And we understood that repentance is not an emotion. The Greek word used for repentance in the Bible is metanoio. It is not an emotional word at all. There is no emotion attached to this word. Because it is, it is based on your thinking. Based on your thinking. Hallelujah. Yes, sometimes when you do bad things or when you commit a sin, you feel bad. That is regret. Hallelujah. It is, uh, it is natural for you to feel bad. But feeling regret is not repentance. Feeling bad about the wrong that you did is not repentance. Hallelujah. It is just a sign that there is something happening inside you. But that is not the place you should be stuck at. If you are stuck in that place of feeling bad or regret, you will turn away from God. Because most of the time, what that does is, it will show you how useless you are, how wretched you are, how weak you are. But repentance means you acknowledge, I have a fault. What I did was wrong. And I cannot come out by myself. 
So I turn to God, I turn to God's thinking and that will help me come out. That is repentance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's look at one verse here. Go with me to the book of Romans. Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll read verse 10. It says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world produces death. Hallelujah. I, I want you to look at the example or the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Alright. What happened? She was caught in the very act. Caught in the very act. Brought publicly. And according to the law, she is supposed to be stoned to death. All the people gather together. They throw stones at her and kill her. Are you understanding? So imagine. Imagine. Just, just picturize that woman. Caught in the act of adultery. Brought publicly maybe naked brought publicly in the front of a multitudes of people how will she be feeling first of all she'll be regretting what she did i shouldn't have done that yes or no i shouldn't have done that and she knows she's in trouble she knows she's about to to die a very painful death a very painful death Hundreds of people throwing stones at you. Not just small pebbles. Actually big stones. Rocks. They throw at you. It will hit you in all places. Your head, your nose, your, your shoulders. Hallelujah. Just imagine her plight. What will be going through in her mind? All of them gathered together. They are ready to kill her. Ready to stone her. She knows what she did was wrong. She knows and she is regretting the action that she did. But what did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? He did not condemn her. He did not condemn her. What did he do? He said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. For her who was expecting to die a very painful, torturous death, what happened? Those words gave hope. Those words revealed the love of God to her. She understood God is not a God who wants to punish her. God is a God who loves her. God is a God who wants to give her another chance. said, I don't condemn you either. I want to give you another chance. Go and sin no more. What happened? All those people left. She got another chance to choose the right thing, to do the right thing. Are you understanding this? What, have, what, will, what will happen to her? Her thinking about God would have changed, right? One experience or, or one exposure to the words of the Creator changed her life. Hallelujah. Would have changed her completely from the point of dying a torturous death few words of hope changed her thinking about God and will she run away from God after that think will she run away from God after that she will turn to God because she experienced the goodness of God that saved her from death she experienced the love of God that forgave her sins she experienced the love and mercy of God that gave her another chance did she deserve another chance no what did she deserve? According to the law, she deserved to be stoned to death. She, she received mercy that took away her punishment and she received grace that empowered her to choose the right thing, that gave her another chance. Are you seeing that? What, what would happen to that woman? She would be sold out for God. Yes or no? Hallelujah. Are you understanding this? That is repentance. That is repentance. 
It's a life transforming grace of God. You change your thinking because you experience the goodness. You heard about the goodness. My life got transformed because of that. I heard that God is good. Hallelujah. Are you understanding that? And our main topic is repentance from dead works. That means to put the meaning, change your thinking concerning dead works. What are dead works? The word for de dead used Greek word is nekros. Nekros means lack of life, devoid of life. Death means death is not the opposite of life. Death is the lack of life. When life is not there, that is death. Alright? And then the word for works is ergon, which means hard work, toil. That means something you are so um, persuasive and struggling to do because you want to do it. You think I have to do it and you're doing it. You're putting all your effort. But when you put the meanings together, it is hard work or toil that is devoid of life. That is lacking life. So when you put the meaning together, it means change your thinking about certain toiling or certain hard work or certain things that you do, certain works that you do that are devoid of life. That is repentance from dead works. So what are these dead works? What are these dead works? The last class I said, dead works, the definition of dead works are, dead works are any work or man-made laws traditions, good works that people do thinking that by doing or following these things you get plus points with God. Are you seeing this? Think. For example, most people don't go to churches. Christian, traditional Christian, they don't go to church on Sunday but they are there on Christmas, New Year, Good Friday, Easter. Four special days, I am there in church. So God is happy with me. I had all the other days I couldn't go, but these four days I went. Some people, they go on communion Sundays. Some churches, they don't have communion every week. They, have the, they, they designate the first Sunday or the last Sunday of the month as a communion Sunday. And people flock to church only on those days. They think, okay, I've come. I have taken communion, God is happy with me. Because I did this, God is happy with me. It's a dead work. It's a dead work. That means you, you, you put all the effort to come to church only on that day, thinking that by doing this, God is happy with me. Another example is, people um, think that, okay, today is my birthday, so I will feed the poor. By feeding the poor, by feeding the poor, feeding a hundred people, God will be happy with me. I did something good, God is happy with me. It becomes a dead work. Why? Why? See, your actions, the actions that you do, thinking that will please God, hallelujah, what is the motive behind it? What is the motive behind it? Are you saying this? God is a God who looks at the heart. Okay. Some people think, oh, I, I've done all these things. If I go to church on Sunday, God will be happy with me. This, for Christmas, God will be happy with me. If I feed the poor, God will be happy with me. Your good works will not save you. Your good works will not save you. Your good works will not give you plus points with God. There is only one thing that will save you, that is believing in what Jesus did. Salvation comes only by believing in the finished work of the cross. Nothing else can take you to heaven. Alright? You can be born in a Christian family and you might have gone to church every Sunday. But that will not guarantee that you go to heaven. What guarantees that you go to heaven? You receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You declare, Lord, I believe that you died for me, you died for my sin, you died on the cross, you, you went to hell for me, you paid the price for my sin and you rose again the third day. You believe that in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, you are saved. 
Hallelujah. That is the only way you can go to heaven. And, okay, let's, let me just, let's just read the word. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read verse 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Said, Your works, let me read it from another translation here. Um, Amplified. It says, For it is by free grace or God's unmerited favor that you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourself or your own doing. It came, uh, but it is a gift of God. And not because of the works or fulfilling the law's demand that you you should boast. Look at that. You cannot boast about any of the good works that you did. You cannot boast about any of the good works that you did. Because those good works cannot save you. Those good works that you think, oh, by doing this, God will be happy with me. Those things cannot save you. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 64. Let's look at that. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah 64 verse 6, the last part says, All our righteousness is like filthy rags. Our righteousness, here in in Hebrew the word righteousness means good works. That means all your good works are like filthy rags before God. And the meaning of the word filthy rags, you know the rags, have you seen a person with leprosy? Where their body is decaying. And it is the, the flesh is decaying and it is dripping. And they use a cloth or bandage to cover those wounds. You touch them, your, your fingers will go inside. Hallelujah. So, and you use certain cloth or bandages to cover those wounds. Those are filthy rags. God says, your good works are like that before my eyes. Another, another meaning is, the, the, in olden days, when women had their monthly cycles, they would bleed. They did not have these uh, pads at that time. They used cloth, those impure blood. And those cloth that collected the blood, God said, your good works are like that. Your good works are like that before me. So all these good works that people do, thinking this will give me favor with God, it's dead work. It's dead work. They cannot save you. Salvation comes only by believing and re- in what Jesus did in the finished work of the cross and receiving Him as your Lord and Savior. Believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth the Lordship of Jesus. That's the only way you can be saved. But then as a believer, after you become saved, people are again stuck in dead works. Yes. God is a God who looks at the heart. Let's look at some scriptures here. Um, oh, sorry. Psalms chapter 7 verse 9. It says, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked, that's Psalms chapter 7 verse 9, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God tries the hearts and reigns. He checks, he tests your heart. What is your heart motive? You might say some right words to people, but behind those words, what is your motive? What is your motive? Let's look at some more. Psalms chapter 44, 
verse 21. Psalms chapter 44 verse 21. Shall not God search this out? For He knows the secrets of the heart. Hallelujah. He knows what's the secret in your heart. What is the motive behind you doing certain good things? You might do some good things before your parents, but inside there is a motive. I want to get this accomplished. If I do this, they'll do this for me. If I say these nice flattering words, they'll do these good things for me. Hallelujah. Psalms chapter, Proverbs chapter 21. Verse 2, Proverbs 21 verse 2, it says, Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord ponders the heart. Lord checks, he tests your heart. What is your heart motive? Hallelujah. Sometimes praise and worship. Hallelujah. I think most of us are in the music industry. So, I'll tell you an example how being a praise and worship leader, standing there can be a dead work. You know, sometimes you stand there, you're leading praise and worship. The job of a praise and worship leader, alright, is to lead the people into the presence of God. It's like uh, crossing a road. When you have children, you hold the kids' hands and you cross the roads. Where are the kids supposed to look? Are they supposed to look at you or look on the road? You are holding their hands. If the kids look at you, will they cross the road? No. Where are the kids supposed to look? They are also supposed to look ahead. You are looking ahead, you are leading them, but they are also looking ahead. You are holding their hand and you are walking straight. If the kids are looking at you, will they cross the road? They will fall in the middle of the road. As a praise and worship leader, your job is to look at God. Look at God the Father and as you do it, you are leading the people with you. And the people's focus should not be on you, they sh their focus should also be on God. Many times as you do, hallelujah, you are looking, are they looking at me? <laughs> are they looking at me? Did I play the right chord? Are you seeing this? Are you understanding this? This is reality. You are standing there thinking, but as you are singing those words, you have a th thoughts coming in. Are they looking at me? Are they looking at me? Am I getting the attention? Meanwhile, the songs are to give attention to God, but then in your mind, you're thinking, am I getting the attention? It's a dead work. It's a dead work. Hallelujah. Praise and worship. The best example for praise and worship is crossing the road with your children. You're holding their hands. They are not supposed to look at you. They're supposed to look ahead at the destination. You are also not supposed to look at the, you are supposed to look ahead. If you look at them and start uh, crossing the road, something bad will happen. You look ahead, you lead them, they also look ahead. The same direction, you are leading them. Hallelujah. So, that can be a dead work. Are you understanding? Taking communion can be a dead work. You think, oh I took communion, God is happy with me. Communion, you are not taking communion to please God. You taking communion will never please God. Why? Go, let's look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23. 23 and 24 we will read. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Who said that? Jesus said that. Alright? Now imagine, if you invite, let's consider, um, Brother Victor, alright, he has a farm, he has a few chicken, alright, and then one day, he invited Pastor Michael to church, sorry, to his house for dinner, alright, so what did he do? He went and caught his best chicken, killed the chicken, cooked it, 
made the curry or kebab and brought it, kept it on the table. Pastor Mike came, ready to eat, and then Pastor Mike is a vegetarian, but let's just assume, alright? <laughs> so, so he took the chicken and then he brought it before Pastor and said, Pastor, take, eat. This is my chicken which I cooked for you. Now tell me, imagine this scene saying, take, eat my chicken which is cooked for you. Who is important here? The person who, is, who cooked the chicken or who is giving the chicken or the person who is eating the chicken? Who is important? The person to whom it is being served, right? The person to whom it is being served is important. He has the, the, the focus light is on him. He is the important man. So this is being delivered to him. The, all the trouble of killing the chicken, cooking the chicken, all those things was done just for that person. Because he's important. Now look at this verse. Jesus is standing before you. When you're taking communion, you should imagine this. Jesus is standing before you and saying, My son, my daughter, take, eat my body broken for you. It is for you. You are not taking this to please me. I am pleased with you. I made this for you. I love you so much. This was done for you. All the focus light of heaven is on you at that time. Why? He did it for you. He loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. See, your thinking was wrong. You thought by taking this, you are trying to please God. No! God did it for you. When you are taking communion, just imagine Jesus standing before you and saying, My son, take, eat my body broken for you. So you can be healed. So you will receive everything that I paid for. For you. You're seeing this. People's thinking were, were perverted by traditions. By tradition or lack of understanding of the word. Communion can become a dead work. A work that is devoid of life. Meanwhile, this is suppose, if you take this the right way, it is full of life. If you understand what communion is, and if you take it the right way, it's an act that releases the life of God into every area of, you, of your life. Anything and everything that concerns you. You understand it, take it the right way. It's a very powerful thing. Hallelujah. But if you do it, thinking, okay, I came, I'm wearing white and white. I didn't eat breakfast today. So God is going to give me 10 points because I came today and I, I am there, I took communion. You are not getting any plus points with God. There is no special seat in heaven for you just because you came on communion Sunday and had it. No! He did it for you. All of heaven is looking at you because Jesus is standing there serving His body for you. He took all the trouble. His body was broken for you. All the stripes on his back. He was beaten. He was bruised. His blood was shed for you. Are you understanding this? See, that's the right way. When you understand it, when you do it, it becomes a good work before God. Not a dead work. Otherwise, it becomes a dead work. So many things that people do are a dead work. God is looking at it and saying, I, uh, these guys. We'll look at some examples. Go with me to Mark. Oh, sorry, Matthew. Or, yeah, the same thing is there in Mark. It's a little more clear in Mark. Mark chapter 7, verse 6 to 9 we'll read. Mark chapter 7. <coughs> <clears throat> he answered and said unto them, Well has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching, the doc teaching for doctrines the commandments of men, 
for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things that you do. And he said, full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. Look at that. Who said this? Jesus. Jesus said this. First he said, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They say, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But their mind is somewhere else. Their heart is far away. Then he said, in vain do they worship me. Why? Because they are teaching for commandment, as a commandment, the doctrines of men, traditions, instead of what the word says. He said, you are rejecting the commandment of God to keep your tradition. Many traditions are against the word of God. They are completely opposite to what the word says. But people hold on to the tradition. Oh, that's our tradition. That's what our grandfather did, his father did, our great-great-grandfather did. So we will also do it like this. Hallelujah. Are you understanding this? Meanwhile, the word of God says something else. Are you seeing this? Mark chapter 7. Verse 13 says, I mean, the same chapter. Verse 13 says, You make the word of God of none effect through your tradition which you have delivered. You are making the word of God of zero effect. None effect means you are removing the authority or the power or the force behind it. You're making the word of God of zero effect in your life. Why? Because you're trying to keep your tradition. You come to church, you listen to the word, but you want to follow your tradition. Um, the word can say all those things, but this is how I will do. You can preach that. It's okay. I know the Bible says all those things, but then this is how I'm going to do. Are you saying this? What is happening? You're removing the power that is in the word of God or let me put it this way the power that is in the word of God is not able to function in your life because you are trying to keep your tradition are you understanding this let's see some more first Peter chapter 1 first Peter chapter 1 verse 18 and 19 Knowing this, that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition. That's 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. It says your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. That did not save you. That did not redeem you. But the precious blood of Christ redeemed you. You seeing that? What did what 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 was Peter's op opinion about the tradition? He said aimless conduct received by tradition. They're aimless. Doesn't give you a destination. You just came to church, everybody is doing it, so I also did. You don't have any particular aim. Why are you doing it? What is the purpose? Am I receiving Everything that God has for me by doing this. Uh, is it according to the word? It's called, that's why it is said, it is aimless conduct by following your tradition. Go to Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. It says, beware, that means be careful lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. There are a couple of things I want you to observe here. It says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. So great philosophers. What is God's opinion about philosophers? Cheaters. And then it says, empty deceit or cheating through traditions of men so traditions of men can also cheat you 
Are you seeing this? And things that are according to the basic principles of the world. Everybody is doing it. So I am also doing it. You look around. Everybody is smoking. It is, all, it is okay to smoke. They are all smoking. At this age, it's okay to enjoy a little bit. So we will also do it. No problem. One small peg. Once in a while. Weekly. One beer. It's okay. No problem. Everybody is doing it. It's not going to harm you. You are not going to die by taking that. If we are young, it's the only time we can enjoy these things. What is that? That's the basic principles or the way of thinking of the world. He said, beware. Be careful. Don't be cheated. Don't be cheated. You are thinking those thinkings and those work that you do. Some people, weekend, they have to go to the pub. They have to take a drink. Are you saying that? It's like a determination for them. No matter what happens, I have to get my weekly dose. I have to take it. Are you saying that? It's a dead work. A work devoid of life for which you are spending time, energy and effort. Seeing that. It's a dead work. We'll see some more. <laughs> There's a lot in the Bible about these things. It says, Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 14. Titus chapter 1, verse 14 says, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Fables means stories. Stories. Certain stories associated with certain places, certain traditions. And commandments of, of men that turn from the truth. That turn from the truth. For example, I'll give you an example. Growing up, when I first learned how to whistle, you know, whistle. I was so excited, I learned it, I would whistle at night. And then my parents and my grandparents would say, don't whistle. At night, snakes will come. Don't whistle at night. I believed it. So at night, I'll not whistle. So if I whistle, I'm like, oh, snakes will come. Oh, I'll not do it. Then later, I understood snakes are deaf. They can't hear you if you whistle. Where did that come from? If you whistle at night, you'll disturb somebody sleeping. That's where it came from. You're <coughs> saying that. What is that? Fables. And it's a command, don't whistle at night, don't do it. And in my grandparents' house, you know, they had these old doors that open both ways. I mean, the doors that open and then on top there is a ventilation. So I would hang on the door and do pull-ups. Then my grandma, grandmom used to say, don't do that. Don't do that. A curse will fall upon you. I'm like, huh? God will be angry with you. Don't do that. Curse will come. Like, okay, I'll not do that. Meanwhile, you know how that came? Before, when they had huts, they just had those poles. If you hang on those poles, the whole thing will come down. So they came out with a story saying, if you hang on that, curse will come. Are you getting the picture? Most of these stories, there could be some element of truth in it, but then they're just fables. He was saying that. What does it do? It puts a wrong picture of God before young minds. Are you seeing this? Kids, instead of getting the right picture of who God is and His goodness, they're like, oh, this God doesn't let me have some fun. Are you seeing this? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4. 1 And the previous verse says, it turns away from the truth turns away. That means it perverts. It takes you away from the truth. That was Titus 1 verse 14. The last part says it will turn you away from the truth. The truth is the word of God. So most of these things, these stories that are perverted, that takes you away from the word of God. <coughs> Hallelujah. And by religiously following that, you're going against God's word. You are not benefiting anything before God. Hallelujah. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 4. Again it says, Neither give heed to fables and endless 
genealogies which minister question rather than godly edifying which is in faith. Look at that. It says, again it talks about fables or stories and then it says endless genealogies. You know what that is? Oh, this person, he comes from this family. His father was like that. His grandfather was like that. They are from royal blood. Special group of people. That family, don't mess with that family. Genealogies. Based on who their father is, grandfather is, from their, their, their 10 generations ago, somebody did something, so they are very special. Hallelujah. Are you understanding these things? So you give special consideration. Sorry? Uh huh. <laughs> Brahmin blood. <laughs> special this thing. <laughs> so you need to understand all these things. What does it do? There is no godly edifying in it. It ministers questions. Are they special? Are they really so special? Then why? Should, what is so special about us in believing Jesus? Huh? It ministers questions, puts doubts in the hearts of people. Are you seeing that? All those things can become a dead work. Dead work. Hallelujah. First uh, Timothy chapter four, verse seven. First Timothy chapter four. This again talks about what we spoke about earlier. It says, "Refuse profane and old wives' fables." You know, old grandma stories says, refuse them. Refuse them. Hallelujah. But exercise rather godliness. I'm not saying don't listen to grandma. Okay. Some of the things and advices that they give are good. But sometimes some things are just a bunch of stories that doesn't edify you, that puts condemnation in you, that puts you down. Hallelujah. You're understanding this. So these things are dead works. Dead works. Religiously trying to do that, thinking, oh, I did this. I didn't whistle at night. So nothing bad is going to happen to me. Are you getting this? They're dead works. God is a God who looks at the heart. So does it mean that you are not supposed to do any good works? If good works doesn't matter? No. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Do you see good works there? Good works. It says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. See, good works will not save you, but you are created for good works. And what are those good works? It explains. These are good works that God has ordained before that you should walk in them. That means God has certain things planned. There are certain things that God wants everybody to do. There are certain things and certain ways in which you are supposed to do certain things. And that is from His word. That, is, that, comes, that comes by seeking God. Being led by His Spirit. Did God tell you to do this? For example, some people do special prayer. It's a tradition in my uh, hometown in Kerala. Every week in uh, different houses they do prayer meetings. People come, one person will pray, others will be sleeping, sitting there sleeping. The main purpose is after that there are snacks. They gather together, they eat the snacks and gossip. That is the main agenda. But before that, half an hour, they just do a prayer. They think that by doing that, oh, special, special consideration. Did God tell you to do a prayer meeting? Did God tell you to do a concert and do a praise and worship meeting? See, a praise and worship gathering or a concert, a Christian concert is a good thing. It's a good thing. But were you led by the Spirit of God to do that? That's the question. Or are you doing it as a publicity stunt? So you will be famous. You are releasing an album that will be famous. See, everything there is a motive. God is the God who looks at the motive behind the heart. Yes, if you want to, if, if you released an album, you want to publicize it, do it as a publicity thing. 
and you also you give glory to God who helped you do it. Are you understanding this? But don't be very religious saying, Oh, this thing I'm doing this. Nah, becomes a dead one. Be very truthful about what your agenda is. Because one day we have to give account. Bible says you are judged based on what you did in your body. So every action that you do, there is a judgment that is coming. And God looks at the heart, the motive. Are you seeing this? So do it truthfully. There is no harm in doing certain things. You want to feed the poor? Feed the poor. But don't say that, don't think that by doing this, God is happy. But did God, sometimes God may lead you to feed the poor, to do something. See, that is God leading you. Then in God's eyes, it is a good work. What we are doing right now, learning the foundational doctrine, it is the will of God. It is the written will of God. You taking all the trouble, coming here, driving in traffic, coming here, learning these things. There's a lot of work and energy and time and money spent in that. Why are you doing it? Because it is written. Even before I was born, it was written. God ordained every believer to learn these things and teach these things. It's the will of God. That's why I'm doing it. Now that becomes a good work. Are you saying this? Why are you going to church? Going to church can be a dead work. What is your motive in going to church? Oh, I go to church, I give my attendance, God is happy, pastor is happy. Is that your motive? Or are you going because the word of God says, do not forsake the assembling of the brethren. I need the fellowship. I need to gather together because the presence of God is in a different way when the saints gather together. Are you seeing this? If you simply go to give attendance to God and pastor, then it becomes a dead work. All the effort that you do in going to church, dead work. In God's eyes, useless, filthy rags. But if you do it with the right motive, with the right heart, before God, it's a good work. Hallelujah. Are you seeing this? In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. See, God wants you to abound to every good work. That's 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Sorry, 9.8 God really wants you to abound in every good work. What are those good works? The works that He wants you to do specifically. The works that He lead you to do. The works that are written, the written will of God. Hallelujah. So He wants you to abound in them. Are you understanding this? Everything else can be a dead work. I believe you understood this. Hallelujah. So what, do, what are we supposed to do? Repent from dead work. That means change our thinking. Change our thinking. Every action that you do, it should be motivated by God's word. It should be because this is the way God thinks. Why am I going to church? Because God thinks that I should assemble together. It is God's will. He wrote it. That's why I'm going to church. And it is good for me. It's an instruction from God. It's a commandment from God. So I am going. I love my God so much. I want to enjoy His presence. I want to enjoy the fellowship of the saints. Taking communion. He did this for me. He died for me. His body was broken for me. That's why I am taking it. I am here to receive every benefit that the broken body and the shed blood has accomplished. I want it. I am taking it. Because I love God. I want, to, I want to live long, I want to live strong, I want to fulfill every plan God has for me. That's why I'm coming. That's why I'm taking communion. See, that's the right work. That's, that, then it becomes a good work. Are you seeing it? So, change your thinking concerning those works that you do. Are they a dead work or it's a, is it a good work? So, you need to check your motive. Is it because... It's a tradition that everybody is doing. That's why I'm also doing. Are you doing it just for publicity? Just to get a specific position in church? 
Why are you giving tithe? Are you giving tithe so that they will all know that Ah, my money is there. This church is built from my money. So everybody will know. Are you giving an offering in front of people so they will know? Ah, see, my offering is there. Or are you giving it because the word of God said? He said, bring the tithe and offering into my storehouse. So there will be meat in my house. Are you doing it to honor God? Are you seeing it? Go to 2 Timothy. We will close with this. Chapter 6. Oh, sorry. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 17. 17 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 and 18 it says charge them that are rich in this world that they should not be high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy that they may do good and be rich in good works ready to distribute willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may hold on to eternal life. Look at that. There are, there are a couple of things mentioned here. It says, charge them that are rich in this world. Alright? It, it also means, 2 Corinthians 8-9 says, He became poor that we are made rich. So you are actually rich. So it's also talking to people who are financially rich. And he's saying that they should not be high-minded or proud. I've got money in my account. You may have money in your account. What You know what happened to PMC Bank right now? The bank lost its, lost its credibility. People who had crores, millions in their account in that bank, what happened to them? The bank lost the money. And government, the RBI, Reserve Bank of India, brought out a rule saying, you can withdraw only 1000 rupees in 6 months. You have crores in the account. But that is useless. You trusted in that money. Say, I have crores in my account. You don't know who I am. What happened? One day, the government came out with a rule. Yesterday I was reading HDFC Bank. They've, in all the transactions, you go to the bank, they'll put a seal now. That says, there is a law that in case there is a liquidation, no matter how much money you have in the account, you are entitled to get only 1 lakh rupees. All your hard-earned money, all the money that you trusted in, one flop, you get 1 lakh rupees. That's a law. You will get only 1 lakh rupees. See, that's what it says. Do not trust in uncertain riches. What is uncertain riches? Uncertain riches means this. You're saying, okay, on this day I'll get my salary. With, when the salary comes, I can do this. This much money I will spend there. I'll buy this. I'll buy that. What? Even before the salary came, you are already making calculations. What to do with it? I'm not saying don't plan. You already made calculations. What if your company went under loss? All the calculation damar. Yes or no? That's why it is called uncertain riches. There is no certainty in it. All those people... It was a big news. People couldn't celebrate Diwali, it seems. Why? Because they can't withdraw money from the account. They had lakhs in the, and crores in the account. They, but they, they, can't, they don't have money to use. They can't pay the kids' school fees. They don't have money to buy grocery. Millionaires. They can't, they, they can't use their money that they have. What can they do? Uncertain riches. So what are you supposed to do? Trust in, look at that, but trust in the living God who will give you richly all things to enjoy. You should not put your trust on the uncertain riches. You trust in the uncertain riches, dead work. Dead work. I worked hard. I have so much money. I have kept for my children, my children's children. No harm in that. But don't trust in that. 
you continue to put your trust in the living God who will give you richly all things to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy. He will give you richly all things to enjoy. And then what did he say? He said that you do good. Be rich in good works. Ready to distribute. Instead of keeping it's mine, I'll keep it in my account. My, my bank account, I'll open one more bank account and put it there. He said, be willing to distribute. Give. And it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God will cause men to give unto your bosom. And be willing to communicate. Why? You are laying up in store for yourself a good foundation. That means there is an account in heaven. Every time you give, it is getting added in that account. Are you understanding this? It's a heavenly account. You are saving up for yourself for the time to come. If you know that you have obeyed this, no matter what the economy says, you know, I'll be taken care of. I'll be taken care I don't care if the whole bank structure fails, if the economy fails. I am trusting in the living God. He will continue to give me all things to enjoy. That's a good work. That's a good work. Are you understanding this? I believe you got this today. The difference between dead work and a good work. What are we supposed to do about dead works? Repent. Change your thinking based on the word of God concerning these things. It is important. This is an instruction from God. Hallelujah. I believe you got this today. Our time is up. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you for your word. Your good word, Lord. Thank you. We get another opportunity to change our thinking. To repent concerning what we thought was important. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Your word is alive. Your word is the truth. Thank you, Father. And your truth is setting us free. You said they shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. Thank you for the truth in your word that is setting us free from those traditions, from those lies that has held us bound all these years. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we are good ground for your word, that we are fruitful ground. We will bear fruit. Thank you, Father. We will not be hearers only, but we are doers of the word of God. In Jesus' mighty name, I declare every person here under the sound of my voice, delivered, set free today in their minds, in their soul. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hallelujah.